Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 7, Total Eclipse Over America. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So this is the podcast where we bring in the experts, NASA scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to tell you the coolest stuff about NASA. So today we're talking about eclipses with Mark Matney. He's a space debris scientist here at the NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. And he also has degrees in astronomy and space physics and is an avid eclipse aficionado. We had a great discussion about what an eclipse is, some of the history of eclipses, and some of the science that we've learned and continue to learn from them. It was an exciting conversation, especially because on August 21st, 2017, a total solar eclipse will sweep across America. Mark and I talked about where the eclipse will pass through and how you'll be able to see it. They don't happen very often. The last time a total solar eclipse happened over the states was back in 1991. We won't see another until 2024. Anyway, we'll get into all that good stuff during this episode. So, with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Dr. Mark Matney. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. All right, well, Mark, thank you for coming on the uh, the podcast today. Uh, perfect timing because very soon we're going to have a total solar eclipse that's going to pass over the United States. And so I think this is a good chance for us to sit down and talk about uh, eclipses and you went above and beyond for this one, Mark, because you have a lot of different things. I mean, we're talking a lot of science. We're talking a long and detailed history of eclipses. You know, this is not just a, oh, look at that pretty eclipse. No, NASA's going all out for this. Is that is that fair to say? Well, I, I, I think this is, uh, I mean, eclipses have been part of human history uh, as far back as we can record. People have been fascinated, scared, terrified by eclipses. Oh, sure. And a lot of important scientific discoveries have been driven by eclipses. I think today, we, we're doing some science today, but uh, much of the important science was done in the past. But this sort of links us in some kind of way to those earlier scientists who were trying to puzzle out the mysteries of the universe by using the, this uh, amazing sight in the sky. So we have some science that's going on. We have some citizen science that's going on. And there's going to be a whole lot of people um, uh, traveling to see this eclipse. In fact, I, I was reading that this eclipse is the first cross-continent eclipse across the United States since the interstate system was built. Oh, and wow. so we might see one of the largest migrations of Americans in a short period of time that we've ever seen. So it, <laughs> it may, because there's going to be a lot of people, perhaps tens of millions of people traveling to see this eclipse. That's very true. And they're all going to be I mean, closer to that nice thin line where yes. we're talking about that path of totality, and we'll get into that like really shortly. But uh, you know, let's go at start at the very beginning, right? So we're talking about a total solar eclipse. This is great, passing over the United States. But what is that? What is a total solar eclipse? So um, a total eclipse is when the disk of the sun is completely covered by the moon. So the moon moon size is maybe slightly larger than the sun, so you can get a complete coverage. Mm -hmm. This particular eclipse is going to be about two and a half minutes of totality. Hmm. Uh, some eclipses are as high as seven minutes. Some of them are just a few seconds. And it's just the way things are aligning? Well, it turns out that the moon is actually not on a perfectly circular orbit. It's in a, an ellipt a slightly elliptical orbit. So sometimes it's a little closer and sometimes a little farther. Oh, I see. And so as a result, it's a little farther. It doesn't quite cover the surface of the sun. And what you end up with is a narrow ring all around. That's called an annular eclipse. Uh -huh. And if the moon's a little larger, in other words, a little closer, it appears a little larger in the sky, you get a total eclipse. And sometimes we actually have what's called a hybrid eclipse where... The, you, you get an annular eclipse, but the mountains on the moon make it so it's actually a broken ring in the sky. It's so close because oh. actually the, the mountains peaking up uh, uh, cover part of that sun ring. So can you see some of the sun peeking through those That's valleys, right. I guess? Yes. Oh, interesting. And, um, and then that one turns out if you could get higher in the altitude in a, in a balloon or a plane, you might see a total eclipse in those guys. But, the, but that's a special kind of eclipse that's, that's actually quite rare. Wow. Uh, and then we also have a partial eclipse. And that's what it, it turns out this eclipse is interesting. As far as I can tell, anyone in any of the 50 United States, weather permitting, should be able to see a partial eclipse, including Alaska and Hawaii. Um, hmm. uh, the partial eclipse is where the, is where the disk of the moon covers part of the sun but doesn't actually 
get to it, it it's off to one side okay and so you and, and we're going to get a pretty good partial eclipse here from houston but i think everybody like i said somewhere in the united states one of the 50 states should be able to see a partial eclipse that'll be cool oh, so, by the way it's august 21st we didn't say the yes date. august yeah. 21st and yeah. this will come out uh august 18th so this will be like this oh, okay. will be right next to Perfect. it yeah absolutely okay. um so partial eclipse is there how is there a way that is very apparent uh, to observe that? Like, will the will the sky get a little bit darker? Or? It depends on the percentage. When it's when it's like about fifty percent, uh, it's hard to notice. But once you get on to 90 percent, the sky takes on an unusual color. Hmm. And in fact, that's one of the things I'm going to recommend eclipse observers just kind of note how the sky changes color, because it's a very it's an it's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. But um, but unless it's re in ancient times, people did not even notice a partial eclipse unless it was like 80-90% because they started to see the sun dim and they would look up at the sun and see a, see that it was no longer a disk in the sky. Wow. Okay, so from here in Houston, what are we expecting percentage-wise? Well, I, I tried to, it, it's, it's about somewhere around 70%. Uh, I, I don't know the exact area, but there are several tables. Hmm. Also, that's another thing is, is where you are, where the maximum eclipse changes on the clock. Um, so so there, are, there are computer resources where you can look and put in your location or your city and find out when the maximum eclipse is and how much. Oh, okay. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> that's a lot of good stuff. All right, so that's 70%. We'll be able to see- it's Something like 70%, yeah. Somewhat noticeable change in the yes. sky then, yes. at least here from Houston, that's really cool. Um, so yeah, you said total versus partial. This is the solar eclipse though, right? This is when right. the moon is going in between the earth and the sun. Right. Like you said, they're relatively the same size in the sky, just based on distance and size. Right. And so it, you know, only blocks off this tiny little strip shadow right. that's going to go across the United States. And it goes, you said, uh, it happens quite often, but just, I guess, at different parts of the world. Correct. It just correct. so happens that it's going to line up this time going and, from coast to and coast. And sometimes it's an annular and something. But it turns oh, okay. out um, we get from three to five eclipses, solar eclipses every year. Oh, okay. Which is wow. actually kind of surprising. We meaning the Earth. Meet someone on the Earth yeah, okay, could yeah. see an eclipse. Uh, we actually have fewer. There's another kind of eclipse called a lunar eclipse. And the lunar eclipse is when the Earth gets between the moon and the sun. Right. And so as the moon moves into the shadow, it, it starts to turn dark and sometimes has an interesting red color. Yeah. Um, it turns out there are actually there are fewer of those than solar eclipses. But really? because a whole hemisphere can see it they're much you, you can see them much more often than solar eclipses oh that okay because okay. you're looking up in the sky and seeing the moon eclipse so anybody on that side of the earth can see it weather permitting of course wow <laughs> why is it that color though well that's an interesting phenomenon you as you know the sky is blue from the scattering of of, of particles in the atmosphere mm -hmm. it scatters the blue light but the red is is transmitted just like we see at a red sunset well mm -hmm. it, the earth's atmosphere actually refracts the red light and so if you were sit, standing on the moon during a, a lunar eclipse the earth of course would block the sun but you would see this red ring around the earth which is the atmosphere refracting the light of the sun so that's the red ring of the earth refracting off of the surface of the moon no no it's 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 the light is coming through the atmosphere through and refracting slightly to your position on on, oh. the, on the moon so you would see this narrow narrow red glowing ring around the earth Oh wow! So it's, but of course, no one's ever seen that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday when we have a base on the moon. Oh, uh, so wait. Okay, so this is assuming that. Uh, yeah, you're assuming that you are an observer. You're an on astronaut the moon. standing on the moon. Right. I see, and there's a red ring. Yeah. So what about um, the the lunar eclipse? It, uh, the perception from the Earth. Uh, it doesn't a lunar uh, eclipse. The the um, the moon looks a little orange. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's orangish. Sometimes it t actually depends on. It depends on the, 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 what's happening in the atmosphere. Uh, okay. For instance, I saw an eclipse uh, in, in, uh, uh, in 1982. We were expecting the red moon, but in fact, the moon looked charcoal gray. And that was right after the El Chichon volcano in Mexico erupted. And so the dust from the, from the volcano had changed the dust in the atmosphere, so, so we didn't get much oh. red. So it actually, you never know what you're going to see when you see lunar eclipses. But they're often red. Mm -hmm. And again, that's the red light that is that is bent by the Earth's atmosphere and, and, and shines on the moon. That, yeah, and it's reflecting, interesting. So it's all entirely about perception then. It's about the, so you're, you're a person on the uh, Earth and this is right. what you perceive from the perspective of Earth. If you were outside floating, you know, millions of miles away, just observing it from, you know, afar, it would just look like uh, the Earth and the moon. The moon wouldn't look a 
certain color. Well, you you could see the color because it's it's lit up with that color. Let me get, okay. let's let's change it around. Let's okay. say you were on the moon looking at the Earth during the solar eclipse, and we have some photographs from the ISS of previous eclipses, and you hmm. actually see a um, you can actually see the dark shadow. You can't see the the you can't see the the sharp edge of the shadow, but you see this fuzzy black thing on the surface of the Earth, and um, so, so you would see, but instead of being the whole Earth swallowed up, you just see this, this black fuzzy spot moving across the Earth from space. Interesting. So hopefully, it depends on where the ISS will be at the time of the eclipse, but hopefully they'll be able to photograph it from, they probably will not be in the eclipse path, but they can look down on the Earth and see the shadow, hopefully, of the eclipse. Yeah, I think, um, uh, I think they are predicting that the ISS is going to be somewhere over Canada, but we'll have a nice view yeah, yeah. Uh, of the of the states whenever right. it's actually uh, the solar eclipse. It would is be going very, by. very coincidental if we happen to fly through the shadow because the shadow is very narrow. It's going to yeah. happen, but it's just going to be <laughs> the odds are against the odds us, are I guess. against. <laughs> so, so a lunar eclipse happens at the full moon. Okay, when when of course the sun is on the other side of the Earth and 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 the moon is. If you're standing on the Earth, the sun's behind you because it's nighttime, mm -hmm. and you see the and a, and a solar eclipse happens at a new moon when the when the when the moon is uh, it, you can't really see it in the sky because you're seeing the, the dark side of the moon. So you'll never see a crescent moon in a lunar eclipse. It's just that's no, no. Not it's the way it's, it works. it's definitely a full moon. Definitely it's the, it's a full the, as full moon. It, yeah. as it gets. Another thing is uh, lunar and solar eclipses are often paired because that that tilt of of the moon's orbit when when the the point where it crosses the the Earth-Sun pl orbit plane is on both sides. And so, hmm. uh, so usually we get an accompanying lunar eclipse with a solar eclipse. And in fact, the accompanying lunar eclipse for this eclipse is on August 7th, and it'll be visible from uh, Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia. Oh, okay. Well, or, there you or go. W was visible, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> August 7th, yeah, I yeah. guess. Oh, man. You want me to say that again? <laughs> <laughs> if we can go back in time. Yeah, Okay, so I mean, so that's uh, a kind of from the perspective of Earth, right? We got solar eclipses, right. and when the moon is in between us here on Earth and the sun, and then the opposite for the lunar eclipse. Right. What, in, in general, if you had to give like a general overview, where where else in the universe do, do eclipses happen? Everywhere. How Any, about that? <laughs> anywhere where you have bodies moving around, one will often eclipse the view of another, and it, but usually what you won't you won't get to see the amazing sight. On Earth, because it's very rare that the object eclipsing looks in the sky the same size as the sun. Oh. So we know, for instance, there are uh, there are eclipses uh, caused by Jupiter's moons as it orbits Jupiter, and we can see this. You can see the shadow on the surface of Jupiter, or, or the clouds actually of Jupiter. Right. And uh, in fact, there was a fellow named Ol Romer, if I pronounce him correctly, back in the 1600s that first detected the finite speed of light by looking at the timing of those eclipses on on Jupiter. So that's one of those science things that eclipses have allowed us to do. That's amazing. Just by looking at shadows across the universe, you can get all yes. this crazy science. And and uh, sometimes, uh, uh, I, I know we've, we've uh, done occultations of stars where a planet moves between us and a starlight, mm -hmm. and a star, and by measuring that star, we've seen like, uh, uh, we, we've found the, uh, the rings of Uranus, as the star would twinkle, just be, or would, would blink out just before Uranus crossed the star. Oh. Um, so, so you can actually do things like look for, for difficult to see rings, or also, um, um, as the light comes through atmospheres, sometimes you can see um, the absorption of different chemicals in the atmosphere of the planet. And then understand the composition of the planet exactly, itself. Exactly. That's amazing. Let me add one thing we hadn't talked about. Yeah, um, sure. Um, I found an interesting statistic, and it said that if you picked a random spot on the Earth and you just stayed right there, you would see a solar eclipse about once every 375 years, on average. Okay, so you should move a little bit. Yeah, well, that's, you're not following. <laughs> so, so during a normal person's, say a normal long lifetime, say 70 years, we're looking at a 20 to 25% chance that you would sometime in your lifetime see an eclipse, okay. a total eclipse of the sun. So yes, it's rare, but not totally unknown. But yeah. So, so I, I just know that one never comes by my house, so I have to go, <laughs> go chase it down. <laughs> well, that's the great thing is we have NASA, we folk, folks at NASA actually looking at this stuff and making predictions. We know exactly where it's going to be on August 21st, right? That's correct. That's yeah. Correct. So that kind of will help you see it a little bit yeah. too. <laughs> uh, I think one of my favorites, though, when it comes to eclipses across the universe is uh, Kepler, right? So if you think right. about, you said occultations is one of them. That's uh, when something passes in front of a star and changes the, the light that we're receiving. Right. That's how we are detecting planets outside of our solar system, correct? That's correct. Uh, yeah. The Kepler mission is looking at a large group of stars 
and monitoring them constantly. And, and it has very, very sensitive instruments. And so they can look at very small dips in the light as a, a planet, a previously unknown planet, transits the face of that star. And we've been able, and, and when they see them repeating, they can work out uh, the, the relative sizes of the planets and their period and work out where they are in orbit around that, around that star. And oh. we've seen, I don't know what the count is, a thousand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this, it, we keep finding more and There's more. There's a bunch of them. So w this is actually one of the most interesting discoveries I think astronomers have made in the last several years is that the, is our galaxy is full of stars with planets. That's and, and it's pretty exciting. It's kind of Star Trek stuff. You know? It is, <laughs> especially um, just recently, the uh, the discovery of the TRAPPIST-1 system. Yes, the, those We're talking about Earth-like planets, and some of which are in what we like to call the Goldilocks zone, Goldilocks, right? That's right. And that's, uh, you know, water doesn't freeze. It doesn't... It's, yeah, it's, it's not too hot. It's not too not cold. Not too cold, <laughs> right? And it, uh, liquid water can exist, and that's, you know, conditions for life, and it's very exciting. Yes, you know, That's what we're looking for, right? Life outside the universe. And, uh, and I'll also mention, we also have transits uh, uh, here just like what we see with, with Kepler, of, of the planets Mercury and Venus, which are inside the orbit of Earth. Hmm. And we recently had a, a Venus transit visible yeah. visible from the U.S. 2012, right? That's right. I think it was 2012. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've, I've also seen Mercury transits as well. Those have an interesting history because uh, scientists in the 18th century were trying, they, they could figure out the relative distance to the different planets, but they didn't know an absolute distance. And they were actually going to use different observers on the Earth to, to measure the transit of Venus to try and get an absolute scale. Uh, and so that, that was the cutting edge science uh, in, the, in the 18th century. Wow. <laughs> but that's another point where, where transits and eclipses have been an important part of, of, of the history of science. Amazing. I mean, that's, that's a, kind of a big theme here, right? Especially for eclipses is, is the science that we can get from observing these that's phenomena. Right. So, I mean, from here on the ground, what are some of the things that we can learn? And I guess in the instance of a, of a solar eclipse, but you know, eclipses in general, what are some of the things that we can learn from, from studying these? Well, let's, let's kind of go through some of the discoveries that were made sure. with eclipses. So, so from we all look up at the sun and see a bright disk. That's called the photosphere. It's very, very bright. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, that's the part we're familiar with. It's about 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's nice and hot. Mm -hmm. But during eclipses, astronomers notice some red layer, a thin red layer around the sun, and that's known as the chromosphere. And that wasn't that was discovered by eclipses. And it turns out chromosphere is the chromosphere is uh, due to emissions from atomic hydrogen in the sun's atmosphere. Okay. And so uh, if you if you if you uh, the SOHO spacecraft sometimes show that's, I mean. The SOHO spacecraft show is is in is in is constantly monitoring the sun, and and one of its instruments is a hydrogen alpha filter, and you can see what that chromosphere looks like. It's a very thin layer of the sun. Again, we discovered by looking at eclipses. Mm -hmm. The next section. Oh, by the way, um, um, some scientists. In 1868, there was a new instrument that was developed called the spectroscope, and the spectroscope splits light into its component colors, and they had discovered that there were specific lines, uh, almost like a fingerprint that defined that that were unique to each chemical, to each chemical element. Okay. And so there, some scientists were very excited to use the the spectroscope to look at the eclipse, and in the chromosphere, they saw some lines from an element they had never seen before. And they couldn't figure out what it was. So, so one of the one of the scientists named it after the Greek word for the sun, Helios. They named it helium, <laughs> and it was several decades before helium was finally isolated and studied on the Earth. But it was first discovered in the in the in the sun's atmosphere. How about that? That's um, is it called spectroscopy? Spectroscopy, yeah. Yeah, and use a spectroscope for the spectroscope. Yeah, yeah, and studying the I guess there's little gaps in the light. Yeah, like, they look like gaps. As sometimes little. there's bright lines, sometimes there's dark lines, and it okay. depends on the situation. But the point is, these lines are like a fingerprint, and that's how we understand what understand the components of stars millions of light years away we can so you said uh photosphere and then you discovered the chromosphere chromosphere right? so what's the what's the difference between those well the chromosphere is actually a very uh a very thin layer like it's it's actually starts as cooler than the photosphere and then it heats up again and there's Ooh. this uh uh, 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 uh solar astronomers are always trying to figure out the exact details but what gets interesting is when you look up at the eclipse when it's totally eclipsed there's what looks like a halo or a garland or a crown around it, and that's called the corona so the, so the chromosphere is a transition between the hot photosphere and the much hotter corona and the corona is up to it's more than a hundred times hotter than the photosphere it's very very hot wow and that's like i said this 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 halo you see around the sun mm -hmm. it that is actually very important to monitor that part of the sun 
in predicting solar storms. And solar oh. storms affect things like satellites and our our communication and our power systems. And so there are uh, there are solar astronomers who are constantly monitoring the sun looking for these types of solar st storms. But the corona was discovered by looking at eclipses. Wow. That's and in amazing. fact, it's so important that we have launched satellites that create artificial eclipses. They put a little <laughs> they put a little obstacle in the way so we can monitor the chromosphere. I mean, sorry, the, the corona at all times. So um, I guess, are they hard to predict, solar storms? And um, they're getting better at it. The big thing okay. is they need to be able to see on the far side of the sun. So we've actually uh. launched a couple of spacecraft called Stereo, and they're now... On the on the far side of the sun, not totally. They're they're um, they're part way around the Earth's orbit, but they can see the other parts of the sun, and we can see storms developing as the sun rotates around. The sun actually rotates also. Wow! So what happens if um, say there's an instance if there's a solar storm and it does disrupt uh, satellite communications coverage, whatever it is? Um, what what can we expect if that were to happen? Would you know, are you talking about cell phones? Are you talking about what, 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 would, what would happen here on Earth? Well, one of the worst things they're worried, worried about is a really, really big storm, a uh, solar storm, which uh, um, could knock out uh, power grids at certain areas. And so wow. you could actually have power outages. That's and, yeah. Um, but but other th usually satellites, they put them in safe mode, but it can damage satellites. And, and, and as you know, telecommunication is a multi-million dollar business. So, right. So... Um, there's a lot of interest in solar storms. But they have a safe mode to... to yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so they just put it in there if they if they see something, something bad. It's still there. dangerous, but they can put it in a safer <laughs> mode. Let's call it a safer <laughs> mode. One other, thing, a little bit, though. one other thing that was observed during eclipses is, is there's sometimes these little arcs. They're not little. They're bigger than the Earth. But these mm -hmm. little arcs of, of plasma jutting off the sun. And you've probably seen pictures of them. They look like arches or or flames coming off the sun. They're called yeah. prominences, and they're... And they're uh, uh, their plasma in the in the ma strong magnetic field of the sun wow. moving through the atmosphere, and they're they're really quite spectacular. Yeah, I've seen some images and videos of them. They really are. It's amazing. Again, those were discovered by eclipses. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you another set of experiments. Um, it turned out that in the, by the mid 1800s, scientists had started working out the mathematics of planets, and had noticed when a planet gets perturbed in its orbit, gets nudged a little bit, they said, well, that must mean another planet that's tugging on it with this gravity. And that's how uh, Neptune was discovered. They, they saw the, the perturbation in, in the motion of Uranus. And uh, they noticed that there was, a, there was a slight perturbation in the orbit of Mercury. So scientists began speculating that that was due to another planet even closer into the sun, and they, which they nicknamed Vulcan. So <laughs> what happened was they then sent in the 1860s and 1870s, scientists deployed around the world for some eclipses to try and look for Vulcan. And they didn't find anything, which puzzled them. They looked at you know multiple eclipses multiple times, no Vulcan. Hmm. But in 1915, Albert Einstein began publishing, or began communicating his work on the general theory of relativity. And Einstein had postulated that that gravity is caused by the bending of space-time. Mm -hmm. And one of his uh, one of his uh, the it, one of the predictions of his theory was that you would see this this perturbation of the orbit of Mercury. So he explained that with, with his theory, general theory of relativity. But another prediction was that this bending of space-time would actually bend light. So he, he showed why there wasn't a Vulcan, but then he said, if you look at an eclipse of the sun where the, and look at the light of stars very, very close to the, to the disk of the sun, you should be able to see the light bent in a way that it, that it displaces the apparent position of the, of the star. In 1919, Arthur Eddington, the British astronomer, deployed uh, for an eclipse out in the, an, an island in the Atlantic Ocean, and they actually measured this slight change in the, in the apparent position of stars. And it was a huge event because when Einstein postulated his theory of general relativity, it was crazy. It was overturning Newton. It was, and here they actually, his prediction turned true. Right. And, th and that's sort of what propelled Einstein into, into his fame was, yeah. was that discovery. So that, that, was, that was perhaps the most important scientific discovery ever during an eclipse was, the, was showing how the, the light of stars is bent by the presence of the mass of the sun. The ma so it was just the mass of the sun that's and right. it was no Vulcan. No Vulcan. Yeah. <laughs> so there's two, two eclipse stories related, sort of <laughs> quasi-related to the same thing there. But everything comes together, right? That's why we're, you, you, there's like, going back to the general theme here, a lot of science to learn from a lot these of eclipses. Let me talk about a couple of things that, that are going on with the science uh, this time around. Okay. Um, we have one group that's going to have a series of 
of telescopic cameras set up along the eclipse path. And they're going to try and take video of the, uh, of the inner corona, which is very difficult to see except during the, during the eclipse. And the idea is one camera will record a little segment of the inner corona, and the next camera will record the next segment, and they can stitch them together and have a rather extended video uh, oh. of the corona, so for, for scientists who study the, the interaction of the corona. Um, another one is uh, some, some other scientists are going to be studying the polarization, which sunlight is polarized in different directions that tells us information about the magnetic fields and other things. But they're going to be looking at the spectrum and the polarization of the, again, the inner corona, which is difficult to measure with, with other, other, in other ways because it's difficult to get so close, to measure such dim um, phenomena so close to the disk of the sun. And this is uh, going back, I'm sorry, I, you That's might right. have already addressed this, but um, uh, the, these are NASA telescopes or these are others? Well, it's a variety of, uh, NASA's cooperating on some of these and some of them are universities and some of them are amateurs. So it's actually a whole team of different kinds of people wow, that NASA's okay. helping to coordinate some of these. Yeah, all working together, okay. Cool. Uh, we've got an, another group that are actually going to repeat the general theory of relativity experiment with some more modern digital equipment with more sensitive cameras to look for for some very dim stars. Again, to, to try and fine tune those measurements to see how close Einstein got to the prediction. Wow. And then we also have some radio enthusiasts who are, uh, during the daylight, the, the sun ionizes gas in the upper atmosphere and we have an ionosphere. And it, it both enhances and sometimes interferes with radio communication. So these scientists mm -hmm. are going to look at how the, how the ionosphere changes as the sun gets eclipsed and, and the sunlight starts to drop off and then go back up again. So they're going to observe how the, how the ionosphere changes. Interesting. So lots of interesting experiments. And, and of course, and, and many of these are by these amateur citizen scientists, which is kind of a fun thing too. Yeah, the, absolutely. So we're measuring the Earth's atmosphere. We're measuring a lot about the sun. Mm -hmm. I know um, out of here, the WB-57, those uh, high altitude planes, they're going to be flying uh, above most of the atmosphere, about 90% of it, and they're going to take a look at the sun and study the sun's corona yep, good. Uh, and measure how energy goes through the sun's atmosphere, but then also take a look at Mercury. Uh, oh, and, that's right. I, yeah. I wanted to tell you, it, when you see the eclipse, you will see a number of planets visible in the sky. So oh. if you get a chance, you'll see stars. Venus is off to the west. Mars is even closer. It's, Venus is about 35 degrees to the west. Mars is about 10 degrees to the west. Mercury is about 10 degrees to the east. And Jupiter is way over on the other side of the sky at 60 degrees to the east. And the star Regulus, which is a bright star, will be about 5 degrees to the east of the sun. So you can see if you can see that. And this will happen during totality. During totality, right? because the stars will come out. Wow, amazing. Um, you, so you'll be able to see all these. And you're talking about from the perspective if you're looking up and, right. you know, the sun. Uh, once it goes to totality, and we can get to safety in a minute, but I do know once it gets to totality, you can take off your glasses for, that's right. for about that two minutes, right? Yeah. And then that's when you'll be able to yes. see all those different parts. That's really cool. Yeah, that's it. Let's talk a little about the history because there's some interesting history of eclipses. Sure, yeah. Um, the most famous story, which is probably legendary, but the story about a Chinese astronomer or possibly two Chinese astronomers uh, named Shi Hu, um, who, who was uh, hired by the king. He was the high, astro high astronomer, I mean, the, the head astronomer, hmm. to, to uh, make predictions about, primarily with astrology, to make sure that nothing bad was going to happen to the king. Well, apparently there was a solar eclipse he did not predict. Oh. And apparently he had had a little too much to drink, and he wasn't on the job when the time came. Oh. And the Chinese actually thought and a lot of ancient cultures thought that something bad was happening. The Chinese thought a dragon was swallowing the sun, and they would they would bang on pots and pans and to scare the dragon <laughs> away. And that's actually still practice in many parts of the world that bang on pots and pans. Yeah, they don't know the like the science behind this total solar eclipse. That's so right. They, yeah, right. I think part of his tradition yeah. this passed on. Yeah, tradition. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, this poor Chinese astronomer that didn't do his job, he got executed. So fortunately, Ooh. we don't hold our scientists to the same <laughs> same level there. <laughs> I, <laughs> very thankful of that. Uh, yes. I'm sure we are. Yeah. Um, um, but. Lots of ancient people were scared of eclipses because they thought they, I mean, it's it's a very amazing thing to happen in the sky, and they were worried about it, warning of some tragedy. Mm -hmm. So so early early scientists in multiple cultures, the Mayans, the Babylonians, the Chinese, studied eclipses and, and tried to understand and predict when they would occur. Um, it turned out there was a Greek by the name of Thales who predicted an eclipse in 585 B.C., 
and this is recorded in the, in the Greek uh, historian Herodotus, there was a big battle going on between two countries. They were the Medes and the Lydians in what's now Turkey. Hmm. And there was a war going on, and they had lined up for battle, and they were about to do battle, and suddenly there was a solar eclipse. Oh. So um, needless to say, um, the two generals met in the middle of the field and said, maybe we ought not to fight today. <laughs> and so they drew up a peace treaty, and those two countries never fought again. All right. So, so, so an a, example of solar eclipse saving lives. That's right. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and so, um, but what happened was a lot of these, uh, as people began to learn to write things down, the Babylonians on clay tablets and the Chinese court records and the Greek historians, people began to pull together this information to understand how to predict eclipses and understand how the cycles occur and that helped the, that sort of spawned the whole science of astronomy is how do you how the mathematics occur on these objects hmm. and um uh, f and one of the things they discovered was called the Saros cycle and this actually um uh, edmund halley named it the Saros cycle they didn't they had different names in ancient times but what they discovered was that an eclipse will recur approximately every 6,585.3 days, which is 18 <laughs> years, 11 days, and 8 hours. Um, so it turns out that the eclipse we're about to have is part of a Saros cycle that occurred. The last one was in Europe on August 11, 1999. And the next one will be in Asia and the Pacific on September 2nd, 2035. And it looks almost exactly the same, except shifted by eight hours around the earth, or 120 degrees in longitude. Oh. So these repeating cycles were how the ancients were able to predict eclipses. How about that? Wow. And it's just all the different cycles of the sun and the moon add up to this repeating cycle of, of, of eclipses. Interesting. Um, Another thing that science that was done in ancient times was the Greeks looked up at a, at a lunar eclipse when we were talking about how the moon moves into the shadow of the earth. And what they discovered is when the moon is near the horizon and eclipsed, the shadow of the earth is not a line if the earth were flat. It's still round. So the Greeks just realized that the earth must be a sphere based on, based on the shadow of the, of the earth on the, sun, on the moon during an eclipse. Oh, wow. So that was the first scientific discovery that the earth was indeed a sphere. Back in the Mayan, wow. Sorry, back okay. in the back in the the Greek times, that was. Gre oh, that Greeks. was Greek times. Yeah, that was okay. Okay. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting history associated with eclipses. Absolutely. Um, that so uh, we learned a lot through history. I mean, we're talking about yeah the, the shape of the Earth. We're talking about um, it, it nature of the battles, sun. The yeah. nature of the sun. Yep. The earliest eclipse that was that as far as we know is recorded. That Chinese eclipse was probably about 2000 BC. Although there's some maybe the one in 2137 BC. But the one we're sure about was there was an eclipse recorded in the town of Ugarit, or Ugarit, um, on, on, in what is now, I believe, Syria, hmm. um, uh, in, was May 3rd, 1375 BC. It was recorded that the sun oh. grew dark. So there's a number of those recorded in ancient texts on tablets. Okay, so wait, so the Chinese one was not recorded? Well, it just... It, we, we just know that it's actually probably semi-legendary. We're not, we're not yeah. sure. Okay. But, but this is the one we know for sure. We can date the eclipse. Yeah. And, and actually, oh, that was what I was going to tell you, is we have a number of these dated eclipses, eclipse of Thales we talked about, mm -hmm. eclipse in Ugarit. And, and what happens if you just run, if you just take your computer models and putting gravity and everything and just run the sun and moon backwards in time, it turns out the eclipse is in the wrong place. So from that, what we've learned is that the Earth's rotation very, very gradually is starting to slow down, starting mm -hmm. to. It's been a long time. It's mainly due to the tidal effects of the moon. It's actually dragging the Earth slightly down. So it's actually in those several thousand years, the Earth has slowed down a little bit, a fraction of, an or, a, fraction of a rotation. Oh. But keep in mind, we're talking about, um, we're talking about, 800,000 rotations or something like that since those <laughs> times. And so we've, we've, the Earth's rotation has changed just a little bit in those times. But that's another discovery we've made, that you need that long time scale to see this very gradual slowing down of the Earth's rotation. So over that long period of time, you said a fraction of a day, is it like an hour, a couple uh, of hours? It's a couple of hours, I wow. think. Yeah. But, and recently some scientists have gone back and looked at Chinese records and, and again, been able to fine tune that. that uh, so that's, that's using ancient records to, to fine tune some modern science. So. All right. Cool. Um, okay, so let's go to um, this eclipse coming up on the 21st. All so, right, you want to talk about safety or what to expect? All of it. Let's right. do it. All right, let's, let's talk <laughs> about... you want to start. Let's talk about safety a little bit. Okay, safety. Okay, everybody has heard, don't look at an eclipse, you'll go blind, right? <laughs> We've all heard that. 
Yeah. And, and I remember as a boy puzzling and puzzling over that. What is it about an eclipse that makes it so dangerous? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out you don't want to stare at the sun ever. It's bad for your eyes. Your eyes are not designed to be handled direct sunlight for any length of time. I feel like it's a good general rule. It's a good general rule. And when our kids go outside, we say, now kids, don't look at the sun, you'll go blind. It's true, you don't want to look at the sun. Yeah, yeah. The reason why, the, the eclipse is not any different. It's just you're more likely to stare at the sun during the eclipse because you want to see what's happening. Uh. So there's really, there's people that think there's some sort of mysterious rays coming off the sun. The only thing is it's just the sun like we're normally familiar with, you just don't want to stare at it. Okay. Okay. All right, so that's, that's the first thing. So anytime the bright disk, that photosphere of the sun, anytime the bright disk is visible, even just a little sliver, you really don't want to look at the sun with your unaided eye. It's dangerous. It's, you want to keep your eye for a long, your eyes for a long time, right? Yeah, I would hope so. But now we have special, nowadays we have special eclipse glasses that you can get in museums and different places yeah. that are, it's perfectly safe to put those on. And look. By the way, don't do what I did. I was checking my eclipse glasses the other day. I looked up at the sun. I said, yeah, and I pulled the eclipse glasses off oh. before I stopped looking at the sun. So then I had a bright blob just for a second i had a bright blob in my eyes for a little while so be careful with them um um, they're often made of aluminized mylar and they look they're kind of silvery and also don't put any pinholes or anything in them that you want to you want to keep them like that keep them so so what are the special eclipse glasses they have they they're just like really intense sunglasses is that yeah it's kind of super sunglasses which which raises the thing you want to avoid any homemade glasses don't put on multiple sunglasses or something don't use smoked glass or photographic film, or neutral density filters, or anything like that, you're not sure there's enough there to block the light to make it safe. So okay. stick with the with the uh, with the kinds that you can get. They're not very expensive, and you can you can get them online and other places. Okay. One exception is number fourteen welder's glass is safe because that's designed also for very bright, like the welders use. Oh, okay. All right, so that's okay, and and um, the an even more important. Um, Part is is don't look at the sun, especially don't look at the bright disk of the sun, with any instruments, with telescopes or binoculars, without proper filters on them, because those things actually magnify the strength of the sun. Ooh. And just like uh, when I was a boy, it. I used to use the magnifying glass on the ants. You know, um, <laughs> that could do that to your eyes. So you need to be very very careful. So yeah. I would avoid, I would avoid those unless you have properly designed equipment now don't like take your binoculars and put your your sunglasses at the eyepiece because it, it's so intense it could burn right through your special glasses so so there's be very very careful unless you know what you're doing with binoculars and telescopes uh, don't even use those right and that's again that's only a two minute it's only a two and a half minute the most yeah so that's that little window of time during totality after the moon has completely covered the disk of the sun mm-hmm. That is the only time you can look safely without glasses. Okay. And and the brightness of the of the of the eclipsed sun and the corona is like the brightness of a full moon. So th- there's no dangerous rays. You just you just don't want to be staring at the sun when the sun reemerges. Yeah. So okay. So just good rules of thumb. So when you're looking at it, say you have the glasses on, mm-hmm. I, you know, is there a specific amount of time that we can say is safe to have the glasses on and be looking at, you know, the moon about to cover the sun. You, well, what's you, can, you don't want to stare at it for you know hours. No, no. Uh, well, um, what you're probably looking for is is as the sun, as the very last piece of the sun starts to disappear, you'll see actually little dots that form, and those are called Bailey's beads. Hmm. And it's and it's an interesting phenomena. Uh, uh, what it has to do with the different brightnesses on the edge of the sun, and also the mountains on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, when those disappear. That's the time you can take your glasses off, and and so you don't want to be you don't because that's actually tiny little pieces of the photosphere of the sun. Right. Um, oh, there's uh, the other way. If you don't have the glasses, there's some other ways you can look at. And it's this, by the way, if you're seeing a partial eclipse, you just want to use the glasses. You don't want to look at the sun directly. Will you be able to see the the uh, you know the moon partially covering the sun with the glasses? Yes, it'll, it'll look like a, a cookie with a bite taken out of it. How that's, about that? That's pretty that's cool. cool. Um, one method you've probably heard of is a pinhole projector, and it's very easy to make. You need some opaque material like cardboard, and you make a pinhole, and then you project onto like a white sheet of paper an hmm. image of the sun. The pinhole acts like a lens, and I think it's important. Don't actually look through the pinhole with your eye. It's not intended <laughs> to look at the sun. It's a projector. It's a little projector. You look at the paper. You look at the paper, and you'll see a little image of the sun, with the, with, and you can see the progress of the eclipse. Another method I used to do when I was in high school is if you take a very small mirror or a large mirror with a with a piece of paper with a circular hole cut out, and you can reflect the image on the sun of the sun onto a shaded wall, 
and you can watch the eclipse that way. Oh. And and uh, I tell the story. I was in I was in history class when there was an eclipse of the sun when I was in high school, and I asked the teacher. I said, "Is it okay if I put this in the window?" and we can watch the eclipse during class time. The teacher said, okay. So we, we <laughs> put it in the window and it, and it, put, a re, it put an image of the sun it, during the eclipse up on the ceiling. We just went along with class and you could watch the progress of the eclipse. All right. So, um, so, those are the, so the, the mirror, there's the projector or your glasses are the three ways to watch the eclipse. And then the only time again to watch the sun, watch the eclipse unaided is during totality, that little, that little short period of time. Okay, and totality is by far the most that's, narrow section of the U.S. Right. So you have really have to be in that spot. And we, you can go to the website, eclipse2017.nasa.gov, and find out exactly where that's going to be passing through. That's right. And uh, it, it starts, I, I, think we, I think I started this, but <laughs> it, it comes on the West Coast. Oh, it, right. It arrives in Oregon. It goes across Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, ne Nebraska, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina. It's a nice path that goes right through the middle of the United States. Right. And it's a relatively narrow, uh, relatively narrow path. And of course, it, it's actually moving. It's a round shadow that's moving across the surface of the earth. And if mm -hmm. you then actually anywhere in that band, you will see a total eclipse. The closer you are to the center, the longer it will last and to a maximum of two and a half minutes. All right. The other thing, though, is the weather. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So it turns out that uh, uh, what eclipse aficionados like to do is they'll look at the historical weather at that point in the U.S. at that time of year. And it turns out some of the areas are more likely to have, uh, to have clouds than others. So uh, it turns out uh, eastern Oregon is a really good place. They tend to have nice clear weather that time of year. Okay. Uh, Wyoming, uh, uh, Nebraska, Missouri, all the way to Tennessee tend to be pretty uh, cloud-free that time of year. And then there's another uh, as it goes over the Appalachians, they tend to be cloudier, and then the little section of South Carolina will also have hopefully uh, less clouds than other places. But again, you never know; it's the weather. Yeah. All you yeah. can do is all you can do is is roll the dice and figure and hope and hope <laughs> that you're lucky, because if there have been many eclipses that people have gone, scientists have gone specific trips to see, and it's been interfered. The weather interferes. Yeah, that's just yeah, poor luck. But that's based on you know it's data on, of right. this day over that's time right. at this place. How often has it been cloudy? on this day at this place yeah, and so, so you're, you're really rolling the dice but playing the odds but those based on statistical data right. are are better off than others very cool is there any particular spot during the path of totality that maybe would be better like for example is it better to go to like a state park and be away from city lights or anything or is being in the city just as fine it's just as fine okay it, it doesn't get totally dark during eclipse it gets okay. dark but um i don't think that's that, I don't think that part of it is particularly important. Okay. The main thing is actually much more practical. You, you want to be somewhere where you're close to restrooms. Okay. <laughs> the eclipse itself lasts three hours, and there may be a lot of traffic, so the ability to get around may be limited. Ooh, yeah. So just very practical things. Are you close to food? Are you close to supplies and things mm -hmm. like that? So let's talk a little bit about what to expect. Yeah. Um, as I said, there may be a lot of heavy traffic, so you want to get to where you want to go early. Okay. And bring things that you're going to need, your glasses, uh, your eclipse glasses, a camera if you're going to bring a camera, chairs, sunscreen, water, food, toilet paper, anything that you think you might need wow. while you're on the road. Yeah. Um, I once had to evacuate here in Houston during Hurricane Rita, and it's maybe a little bit like that. It may be stuck on the road with heavy traffic if you're not careful. Wow. So, Are you talking about people stopping on the highway? Just no, I'm to, just talking about large numbers of people moving to see the eclipse. To, see the, to be in the path if, of you're, if you're traveling. For instance, I'm going to be in the Carolinas, mm -hmm. and uh, every eclipse watcher on the Atlantic coast is going to be headed for South Carolina. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the interstates are going to be pretty full, so just wow. allow plenty of time. The total eclipse, I mean, the, the entire eclipse lasts about three hours, so it's about an hour and a half up to leading to totality in an hour and a half until the moon completely uncovers the sun. Okay, okay. But again, uh, and one of the things I thought was interesting was the eclipse veterans gave some very sage advice. They said, if this is your first eclipse, don't try to photograph it. Don't try to take telephotos and photo. You'll be so worried about your camera, you'll miss the spectacular nature of the eclipse. So I think that's good advice. And so if you're a veteran eclipse guy and you want to 
and you want to make you know make photographs of things that's fine let the yeah. professionals do it just enjoy the the experience i yeah. think that's a good idea i'm sure there's going to be plenty of imagery oh, there coming be. out from all over the u.s i bet there's going to be lots of selfies with people <laughs> with the moon the eclipsed sun behind them but that's fine you know? do you think selfies will come out at least during totality maybe when it's dark enough that you may need a flash it. on yourself oh yeah. okay flash on yourself okay um Couple, couple of suggestions to do, so a little citizen science you can do. One okay. of them is notice how the sky colors change. Hmm. It, they're very unusual colors that you don't normally see. So that's an interesting thing. Also, when there's a tree casting shadows, there are lots of little tiny holes between the leaves that act like pinhole cameras. So sometimes you can see little crescent suns during the partial eclipse on the ground. So you can look for that. It's kind of fun to take pictures of that. Oh, that's really cool. Um, uh, does the temperature change? Does it feel cooler during the eclipse? Does the wind pick up or calm down during the eclipse? Just so kind of scientific things you can observe. Just is there are there things that we know of that you know what atmospheric changes in the Earth? You know, like a... well, it, it will it does change the the heating of the Earth from oh, the does. sun. Yeah, and 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 you will feel cooler. And people actually. Uh, have noticed it feels considerably cooler, which will be pleasant probably on August 21st, and especially <laughs> in South Carolina. So, um, but, uh, so just things to notice. Again, um, the other thing is as totality approaches, observers have sometimes noticed what's called shadow bands. And these are alternating uh, light and dark bands that quickly move across the ground, especially uh, where you have light colored surfaces. <laughs> and um, they occur just before totality and after totality. They're, actually, we don't fully understand how they work. They probably have something to do with the atmosphere, the same reason that stars twinkle. But if you can see them, sometimes they're seen and sometimes they're not. Something to look for. Hmm. Um, another thing to observe is right as the totality is beginning, there's just a tiny little sliver of the sun, and it looks very much like a diamond ring in the sky. And it's called the diamond ring effect. <laughs> and that's definitely when the diamond ring occurs at the end of the eclipse or the Bailey's beads, that's the time to put your sunglasses, your special eclipse glasses back on. Oh, okay. But as the, as the eclipse is about to happen, you'll see the diamond ring effect and then the diamond will go away, the Bailey's beads will go away, and then you'll see the full totality. And, and again, you can take your eclipse glasses off during totality, but be, be ready to put them back on. Yeah. And uh, another thing you can look around is, is take a moment while you're enjoying the the eclipse, take a moment to observe people around you. See how people <laughs> react to it, yeah. um, um, expressions on their face. Another thing is sometimes animals behave strangely during the eclipse. Chickens have been known to roost, birds behave differently. Even wasps and bees sometimes behave strangely. Wow. Cows, inse dogs, insects, anything you can think of that's close by, just, just for fun, observe and see if you <laughs> notice anything. It is a strange and rare phenomenon. It is strange and, yeah. and they're confused by it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, after totality, the whole sequence will reverse itself. So, so you, you have all those sequence of things, the partial eclipse, the diamond ring, the mm -hmm. Bailey's beads, and that will reverse as, as, the, as the moon uncovers the sun. Wow. Amazing. So um, if you miss this eclipse or the weather doesn't cooperate, we have another chance in seven years <laughs> from right. now. Um, in 2024, there will be an eclipse that will move through Texas and up through New England. And it will be another total eclipse of the sun. So we have two in a very short period of time. But it's been a long time since we've had an eclipse. So, All right. Yeah. So we're due. We're due. We get two. <laughs> in, so two chances. And my wife said, well, why don't we just go to the one in seven years? And I said, well, we don't know what our lives are going to be like in seven years. So I said, yeah. carpe eclipsum, seize the eclipse. <laughs> so um, this, is your, this is your chance. Fantastic. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm, if anything, why not both, right? Well, why not? We could try both. <laughs> I may become an eclipse uh, a fish junkie, I guess. It would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, man, it's, it's it's so cool. And the fact that we're able to predict them and we can go and, you know, we have a bunch of best practices on how you can observe the uh, eclipse the best that you can possibly do it. Yeah. I know going back, just one quick thing. Um, well, you said early. Arrive to your destination early. Yeah, if you can. Yes. How early are you? Are you talking about like days or day or hours? Well, it's difficult to arrive days early now because <laughs> virtually every hotel is booked along the eclipse path. Oh. Um, we're going to be uh, some distance away from the from the eclipse, so we're going to have to start early. Uh, the eclipse is a maximum in South Carolina about two thirty. So I figure if we get off at 8 in the morning, that gives us about six hours to get there. And that may or may not be enough time. We'll just have to do the best we can. Um, and it, that was just where we could. I'm staying with relatives. So that's, okay. um, but um, a lot of people I know have their hotel rooms booked in the, at, 
underneath the eclipse so they can just step outside and watch it. But yeah, that's the, oh, I wish I planned ahead there. That would have been nice. Just get a nice like resort or something and just lay by the pool, watch the eclipse go by. That'd be pretty cool. Actually, what I had originally planned, I've been, I've been planning for this eclipse since I was in graduate school many, many years ago. Wow. And I noticed that it would actually go through Grand Teton National Park. And I thought, that's what I'll do. I'll go to the Grand Tetons to see the eclipse. But it turns out the weather's not so, it's a higher probability of clouds there. So I, <sighs> I backed away from that. Good luck to those of you that, the, the Tetons, but that would be a beautiful photograph actually it's an eclipse over the Grand Teton oh, Mountain. Absolutely. Let's keep our fingers crossed for that good weather hopefully it'll across be, the board. Hopefully it'll be clear all across the United States yeah. and, and everybody will be able to enjoy the eclipse. That would be fantastic. Well, um, I think that's all the time we have unless you have one more story, but uh, anything? I have other stories, but <laughs> I, <laughs> there are lots of good stories. Well, but. hey, yeah, actually we have a website and if you stay tuned till after the music here, we'll tell you uh, where you can go and, and check out some more info on the eclipse and learn a little bit more about the history, the science and all kinds of cool stuff, including the citizen science that Mark was talking about here and how you can, uh, what you can do to, to observe some phenomena about this uh, eclipse. So uh, stay tuned for after the music there. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the uh, podcast today. Uh, I feel like that was, you know, I, I'm not going to say everything about an eclipse because, like you said, there's there's definitely more. But that's, I, I feel like I have a good understanding about eclipses and the science that goes behind it. So, um, uh, I, you know, there's a lot about eclipses and a lot that we can learn just from shadows, and it's just amazing that uh, that uh, there's so much behind it. So, thanks for coming on the podcast and talking all about it. And uh, everyone, I hope you enjoyed the eclipse on the uh, August 21st. So, thanks again, Mark. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around. So, once again, this Monday, August 21st, a total solar eclipse will sweep across America. If you want to know all the information that we have, if this podcast was not enough for you, go to eclipse2017.nasa.gov. You can find out all the science of eclipses, uh, even more than we talked about with Mark Matney today, you know, where it will be, and then how to safely view it uh, from the ground. Uh, just be sure to make sure that you check the glasses and make sure that they are NASA certified. After talking with Mark Matney after the show, we found out that the shadow itself is going to be 68 miles wide. And then that shadow travels faster than 1,000 miles per hour. So, you know, he went back and, and he was trying to find the width of that shadow. It's actually a little bit smaller than you would imagine, but how fast it travels. I mean, we're talking about some of those planes that are going to be following the, uh, the uh, shadow and studying it. They're only going to get a only a few extra minutes out of it because the shadow's uh, traveling so fast. But if you think about it, it's the moon going around the Earth, so it's probably going to be a little bit faster than you would think. Anyway, uh, you can find out more about the eclipse uh, by following us on social media. Obviously, our NASA accounts will be talking about this, but also uh, here at the NASA Johnson Space Center, you can follow our accounts there. We'll be talking about it. If you follow International Space Station, you can see some of the imagery you'll get from there, 250 miles above the Earth. And then also uh, Ares, Astro Materials Research, you'll find them um, on multiple accounts, and uh, you can talk. They will be talking mostly about the science of eclipses, uh, and they are also based here in the Johnson Space Center. All of these are on either Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to join the conversation uh, for and maybe submit some pictures that you are taking from wherever you're going to be observing the eclipse, and then also sort of see what everyone else is doing. The official uh, hashtag for this event is hashtag Eclipse 2017. Just use that on your favorite platform and uh, share your experience and maybe ask a couple questions in case all of the information we told you today and anything you can't find on the website, we can still answer even more questions uh, that you have. So this podcast was recorded on July 19th, 2017. Thanks to Alex Perryman, John Stoll, and Tracy Calhoun. And thanks again to Dr. Mark Matney for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.